Thanks for checking out the Brad and John Show podcast. This segment of the show is brought to you by John Combest's book, Stalking, Harassment, Internet Trolling, A Guide to Recovering and Rebuilding After Online Attacks. It's a great reference if you've ever been the unfortunate target of a social media attack. It's available on Amazon. Just search John Combest. That's C-O-M-B-E-S-T. John Combest, and the book will show up in your search results. Now it's time for another segment of the Brad and John Show. Can you handle it? I'm Egbert, the owner of this station. Check out my website at Egbert.com. That's E-G-G-B-U-R-T, Egbert.com. Now it's back to Brad and John. Check out their website at BJShow.co. The BJ Show? Come on, guys. Anyway, here's B and J. It's the show that may only be on for an hour, but it seems like it's on for three hours every day. I don't know how that happens. Or four or five, depending on who you listen to, Brad. <laughs> it goes on and on and on. Good morning, John Combest, C-O-M-B-E-S-T. You like the way I spell your name, right? Oh, I love it. Yeah, well, most importantly, because it's accurately. <laughs> that's that's the best part of how you spell my name. John Combest, the reason I spell it is because that's his website, J-O-H-N-C-O-M-B-E-S-T.com. He, every single day for 22-plus years, combs all these sources in the state of Missouri and comes up with the John Combest.com. Do you call it the John Combest.com report or you just call it just John Combest.com? You're not like the... Just, no, just John Combest.com. I generally just... First of all, I don't refer to my website very often because I don't go around promoting it. If My theory, Brad, is generally if you don't go there every day, I'm not going to promote it to you. But in general, I just call it the website or I call it John Combest.com. We'll, we get together, we start off the show by giving John the enviable position of having Casey Kasem. Right, Casey? Is that you, Casey? Hold on. Casey. I forgot to turn his microphone on. Try it again, Casey. I'm Casey Kasem. We give John the enviable position of having Casey Kasem count down. And how do you do it, John? Casey? <laughs> and here they are. At the top three of the state of Missouri. And Casey, once again? In third place... A follow-up to a story that we talked about last week that involves agriculture. The Post-Dispatch is uniquely, for the second time in a week, putting the spotlight on agriculture. More specifically, the court ruling that bans a very popular herbicide by being used by farmers. This time, the reporter, a very good reporter named Bryce Gray from the Post-Dispatch, went out and talked to a farmer from southeast Missouri named Barry Bean, who is an icon a legend in the farming business, whoa, whoa. to talk a little bit about what the decision means for farmers. Hold on. His name is Barry Bean? His name is Barry Bean, and he plants beans. Oh, my God. How'd that it happen? It would be like a gentleman named Johnny Cotton planting <laughs> cotton. <laughs> yes. Or the guy who was the sheriff in St. Clair County for a long, long time, Merle Justice, right? <laughs> he bringing justice. And he, right. most people don't know this. But there was a guy that worked with the homeless in St. Louis that had a lot of rice patties. Do you know him, Brad? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, Larry Rice. Yeah, Larry Rice. So the interview with Barry Bean, Barry talks a little bit about how just how farming decisions, farmers make their decisions in the fall immediately after harvest. And guys have already started. And, yes, I'm saying guys because the overwhelming number of of farmers are men. Guys made their, their decisions for their chemistry a.k.a. their pesticides and their, their herbicides in the fall, and this ruling throws a monkey wrench into everything. So we bring up the agriculture story, first of all, because it's rare that the Post-Dispatch highlights agriculture twice in a week, but also this is a BFD to farmers. As a, as a pair to this, this pairs nicely with two other stories that I have on the website today 
right next to it that are also involved with Bayer. We'll, we'll include these in the number three story. And that Bayer gave a little bit more color around their upcoming St. Louis layoffs. And remember, Bayer has branded its layoff program Dynamic Shared Ownership. And two very good ag reporters, Pam Carraway and Pam Smith, covered the company announcement last week. Some folks were anticipating that Bayer would say that they were spinning off their whole ag division, get it away from the aspirin part of the business. Uh, but that wasn't the announcement. The announcement was about a little bit more about the, the branded layoffs program. It, as it relates to St. Louis employees, March 5th, Capital Markets Day for Bayer, a.k.a. the day that the company talks to Wall Street, folks will have a little bit more clarity about where these job cuts are coming. Employees were uh, were notified, shall we say, last week that cuts are coming, that the workforce will be slashed, and that employees will have to deal with it in the coming weeks. And what's it called again? Dynamic Shared Ownership, Brad, DSO. <laughs> Casey, what and do you, you know what it is? It's it's just so you know, in case you think it's just plain layoffs, it's reimagining the company, Brad. Reimagining. Casey, what do you think about that? We're on our way to the number one. He doesn't care. He just wants to move. <laughs> so that's number three. I, I it's and I would also point out too, as I do once in a while, Brad, as a wink to as a wink to regular viewers of my website, I have a link to a 2018 story from the St. Louis Post Dispatch. And the Post-Dispatch quoted a Bear executive as saying, look, people have come up to us all the time in St. Louis and said, please don't inbev us. Don't worry. We will have more jobs here than ever before. <laughs> I was in the room when that quote was delivered, too. And I was like, you, okay. you, you were still working there at the time? Yeah, yeah. It was, wow. it, was, it was right around the time of the merger. It was the time that the Germans had invaded, or I should say, I'm sorry, it was the time that, the, the, that Bayer had, had come in and, and formally acquired Monsanto. And we all know what happened with InBev. Okay, moving on. Up a notch to number two. It's number two. The Post-Dispatch editorial today takes aim at House Speaker Dean Plocker. Now, we've discussed this a few times before. The Speaker of the House got a lot of flack for allegedly double-dipping campaign expenses and then being reimbursed by the state of Missouri for those campaign expenses. This particular editorial from the, fo from the Post-Dispatch focuses on a state representative from Northwest Missouri. Her bills, or particularly one bill of hers, had not been referred to committee by the speaker. The speaker is in charge of taking bills that are essentially in the hopper and referring them to committee she said that the Speaker's act was childish. Her name is Maisie Christensen, formerly Maisie Boyd. And she said that the, the act by the Speaker of the House was childish. Now, to be fair, the Speaker last Thursday, as I understand it, actually ended up referring the bill later than most bills. But this is just another example of the Post-Dispatch has an opportunity to once again, once again criticize Dean Plocker, rightly or wrongly, for what it sees as transgressions against the people of Missouri. And they, they obviously don't like him. Yeah, and, and they'll take any opportunity, whether justified or not, to, to take aim at, at a pretty popular Missouri Republican, particularly somebody from the St. Louis area. It's like the uh, Post-Dispatch, every time they print an article about Bill Igel, they have the, <laughs> the goofy picture of Bill Igel, which, which And, and Andrew, Andrew Bailey, I think, has Bill Igel edge because Andrew Bailey looks like he's just about to scold you. 
Well, the the Bill Eigel picture. Remember, we had him on the air what last week, week before. Yeah. The Bill Eigel picture said he said that was taken what like in the very last days of the Senate where they're starting to loosen up a little bit. Wasn't that what yeah, he said? Something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was a light moment. Yeah. And, uh, you know, any anything to make a Republican look bad. Right. And it's not like they could take his official picture, which they have. You know what I mean? You know, you, you, that's all online. You can just go online. Anybody's. Yeah, yeah. And meanwhile, if they print a picture of Claire McCaskill, it's it's from when she was immediately post college. You know, <laughs> right? She's 25. So that's right. the number two story, Brad. Okay, and then finally, the number one. If you are waiting for a lot of action to happen in the Missouri Senate or the Missouri House, probably going to have to wait till next week. Those pesky Kansas City Chiefs won the Super Bowl on Sunday. I don't know if anybody listening happened to watch it or hear about it, or there's some there's some female caterwauler who sings songs that's dating some guy in the Chiefs or something. But the Missouri legislature, the House said, yeah, we're not going to be in session Wednesday or Thursday. And it's expected, if it hasn't been announced already, that the Missouri Senate may follow suit. So this will be a week of very little action. There was action on the floor yesterday. There was there was some action on the Senate floor so, yesterday. So they're, they're taking but the whole week we can off? expect our elected officials to be standing loud and proud at the Chiefs' victory parade tomorrow. Yeah, but that's tomorrow. Isn't what about Thursday and Friday? You know, there are five days in a week, at least a work week last time I checked. Hold it, except if you're an educator, there's only four, right? Yeah, that's true. In 30% of districts across Missouri. Now, Brad, you may remember, now you and I are not big drinkers, but you might remember a concept from your younger days called a hangover. I, you know... I, I mean, do you really want legislators to be on the floor of the House or Senate when they're when they're post revelry, Brad. I, I am such a straight arrow. It isn't even funny. I mean, I, I think I've <laughs> I had. You are. I think I've had maybe two hangovers in my entire life, and I I'm just not a drinker. I mean, I'll tell the story, and it sounds stupid, but when I was in my younger years, like you know, like my pubescent years and early teens, I have some I had some health issues. Ended up in a hospital for a couple weeks at one point in time. And, you know, they drug you up in the whole bit. And that sort of turned me off. You know, I just didn't like the feeling of sort of, you know, sort of feeling like I was on another planet. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I get what you're saying. In other words, being out of control or not having all your faculties. Yes, exactly. And and I've always, it's always bothered me, you know, to this day. Yeah. I mean, now me personally, I didn't I didn't mind if I was drinking and I was, you know, buzzed or lost some faculties. But to me, it was just do you want to wake up and you and I are both morning people and I don't like to wake up and feel like I just got hit by a truck. Well, you know what I mean? Right, or, I know exactly what like, you're saying. I don't mind losing my faculties in the evening, but in the morning, like I gotta go. I want to. I want to be sharp. You know. Well, but not only that. I mean, especially when I was in college, I had a very responsible job. I was a police dispatcher, and I, could, yeah. I if I showed up at work, you know, stoned or drunk or hungover, yeah. I wouldn't last long in that job. You know what I mean? There, yeah, there, no, absolutely. There would be a point where the shift lieutenant would have a little talking with me, and then I'd end up talking to the captain, and then I'd talk to the chief, and the next thing I know, I'd be in the parking lot, leaving there for the last time. You know, that's. <laughs> the kind of place you know and and you know but once again i mean and see i've said this before and i know it sounds sort of um you know at the time i was in the radio i mean way back when when i first got in it truly was even though we were not in necessarily the rock and roll business it was sex drugs and rock and roll Mm -hmm. and uh my career path was somewhat stunted because 
I was not invited to the parties that everybody else went to because they knew I wouldn't, you know, do what they were doing, which was for right. the, at the right. time a lot of cocaine, a lot yeah, I was of cocaine, say a lot of white powder. Yeah, a lot of cocaine. You know, that was the drug of choice at the time. Matter of fact, that was how you know, if you wanted, if you were a record uh, a promoter and you wanted to get your song on the radio, how did you do it? Well, you just, you know, dropped a little bit of that white stuff on the program director, the music director. That's how you got stuff done, you know? I mean, yeah. but, you know, things have changed. Now we have iHeart where <laughs> they play the songs, same song over the entire country, and, you know, there's no localism. But It's McRadio. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, those are the top three this morning. Anything to carry over from yesterday? Any follow-up or anything like that? No, I think we, uh, I don't think there's much carryover from yesterday. Did you hear anything from Jason Rosenbaum? We talked about him quite a bit yesterday. Uh, you know, any private conversations I have with folks, I, I, I probably wouldn't share on the air, Brad. Oh, I mean, but, but I mean, I know he says he listens from time to time. Does he ever call you and say, I can't believe you said that about me? You know, if, if Jason ever shared something like that, I would, I would share it with you privately, Brad, and not on the air. Well, my thing is, and (laughs) I will tell, I will say this up front. He's a true journalist. And unfortunately, I think he's in a place where his journalistic skills are not appreciated to the extent I think they would like to be. And like, for example, take a guy like Kevin Kleen. Maybe I'm, I'm biased because Kevin Kleen once upon, once upon a time worked for me. Kevin Kleen was the kind of guy that, I mean, like he just rolled up his sleeves and waded into the masses. I mean, you remember the, the infamous press conference where he was at with Kim Gardner, where he got shouted down. Remember that? And, yeah, I do. I mean, and most, most reporters would have gone like, I don't think I want to be in this room anymore. Not him. He stood his ground and kept asking questions. And at one point in time, what is the one guy who was standing up there? We already answered your question. Sit down. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, not yeah. a great. Oh, yeah, yeah. In, in Kim Gordon. Yeah, her, her essentially her campaign staff began arguing right. with Kevin and Colleen there. <laughs> right. Now, I will say that uh, I will reveal this, that that a large percentage of my conversations with Jason Rosenbaum are based on professional wrestling. <laughs> so if there's there. something interesting happening in the pro wrestling industry, there's 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 some politicos for whom the primary topic of my conversation with them is not Missouri politics, but it is professional wrestling industry news. Well, let, let's let's stop. Drop back a minute. And let me give my analysis on this, which happened last week. And to, people are still talking about it. There was a time when Donald Trump was the president and the press corps was essentially adversarial toward him when he stepped in, you know, in front of the microphone or to his press uh his press, you know, uh, uh, core. Okay. Mm-hmm. And they asked, you know, is it true that Donald Trump trims his toenails with a chainsaw? You know, they would ask any ridiculous, stupid question. Yep. Okay. Then we get Joe Biden and nobody asks any questions anymore. Isn't mm-hmm. it interesting how that's. Except for Peter Ducey. No, yeah, except for Peter Ducey. <laughs> Isn't that interesting how that's changed? And especially yeah, last week was probably the biggest change where. Everybody went after him. I mean, you know, no matter what agency they were there from, they were asking tough, hard-hitting questions, and he just got grumpier and get off my lawn, Biden, more than ever. And I'm thinking to myself, where were these press people when he started president, you know? I mean, don't throw him softballs. I mean, your job is to essentially not just, you know, I mean, John, John worked on that side of the equation. John was the guy who handed out you know, sheets or whatever, sent out emails and says, here's what you can expect from the wonderful company that I work for. Everything's great and wonderful. And don't ask any tough questions because we won't answer those. Now, obviously, I'm being facetious, but that essentially was your job, correct? 
Yeah. And so and, you know, I was thinking about it over the weekend because I was thinking about the coverage that comes from the Post-Dispatch. And this is why I compliment a guy like Bryce Gray at the Post-Dispatch who covers the environment. And and yes, there are good environmental reporters. But to your point, Brad, you I want now that I'm not paid to flack for a company, I want the media to have a somewhat adversarial relationship with corporations because I want them to press companies for for real numbers in the fact that I was there in the room writing the messages and I know where the holes are and I know where I know the questions that we don't want to answer as a corporate community but I want a reporter like Bryce Gray to say hey so when are you going to tell us about the job layoffs hey I've heard that you guys sent out an email Friday that outlined some of the job cuts and told people what to expect. Is it true? Well, but- And that's because I've been on the side of the equation where I had to say, gosh, we got another email from Bryce. What can we say? Take, you know? that, take that one step further with the government as well, too. You want those reporters to ask that you know, senator, representative, you know, a uh, 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 mayor, whatever the heck he is, you want to ask the tough questions. Yes. And, and the problem we have nowadays is that with the cutbacks in newspapers and the cutbacks of the TV stations, the radio stations, the whole bit, there aren't that many reporters anymore. I mean, yeah, and, and let me interrupt, Brad, and also not, other, not many reporters, but very few of them will go to the depths that a Bryce Gray will go, go in today's Post-Dispatch. Now, if I was still at the company, there are word choices that Bryce made in his story that I think are inaccurate, but I'm not paid to quibble anymore, you know? Well, like, but to your point, Brad, I want somebody that's pushing on a company. I will tell you a story, matter of fact, tell it next break, of a situation that happened to me within the last couple of months, actually within the last three months, where um, something came out about me and was in the national trade press, and only one person called me on it. One yeah. single person. I can't wait to hear that story because I know a little bit about it, but yeah. I want to hear more. Well, it's sort of crazy. Thanks for checking out the Brad and John Show podcast. This segment of the show is brought to you by John Combest's book, Stalking, Harassment, Internet Trolling, A Guide to Recovering and Rebuilding After Online Attacks. It's a great reference if you've ever been the unfortunate target of a social media attack. It's available on Amazon. Just search John Combest. That's C-O-M-B-E-S-T. John Combest, and the book will show up in your search results. Now it's time for another segment of the Brad and John Show. Can you handle it?